Good afternoon. <laughs> so inspiring to see all of us together. So, um, do you know the feeling of scribbling a note to yourself that was so important you got up in the middle of the night to write it? And then you get up in the morning and you look at it and you go, what was this about? <laughs> what is this? Um, I feel that way sometimes about the wisdom teachings written so long ago, a note to future self. Remember this. So, along with um, five precepts and three refuges, get on your shopping list, um, four noble truths and seven factors of awakening, buy all these. Um, this talk is about the three marks of existence, the th three characteristics of existence, three insights. It's the second discourse that the Buddha gave after the Four Noble Truths. Santa Cruz um, is blessed to have many preschools. Um, our beloved teacher Jill is not here, so we could point to her and say, yeah, she's one of them, one of the teachers. But um, one of my sons attended one of these very rich preschools, very rich in uh, activity. And part of the program was what was known as UB teacher. And at three years old, they were to stand up in front of their peers and teach something that they knew. It's, it was amazing. Um, you know, someone taught how to unfold a paper clip. <laughs> it's very exciting. And so I looked at my son and I said, are you ready? Do you feel like you have what you need? And, um, of course, wanting him to excel <laughs> to three. And he said, I got it, Mom. I thought, okay. So I was sitting amongst his peers and watching. And he stood up and he said, I'm going to teach you how to tell a story in your mind. And he stood up in front of his peers and he went like this. <laughs> And he did it for a while until his story was complete. <laughs> I thought I would give my Dharma talk that way. <laughs> um, so if I do that, you know what's going on. Um, but watching him, I mean, you can imagine it was, it was very beautiful. And, and the blessing of the parent to, to look and say, oh, may his thinking, may his thoughts always be to serve his wisdom to serve opening his heart because knowing full well how messed up we can get entangled with our stories and um, our thinking. A few months ago he called me um, 
he was living in Seattle at the time. And he said, Mom, guess what I did today? And I said, what? And he said, you'll never guess. I said, okay. <laughs> and he said, I went to my first day long. I went to my first all day. So it's all I could do. Pause, parent, count, one, two, three. <laughs> I said, oh, uh, how was it? And he said, I remembered who I am. It's like, oh, oh. That's like music to my ears. I remembered who I am. Pause. One, two, three. <laughs> Let him keep going. And so I said, well, what'd you learn? And he said, I remembered who I'm not. I'm not the kid who just graduated from grad school, I mean, from um, university, and doesn't know what he's doing yet. And I'm not the young man who's just been applying for jobs and sitting in interviews and being asked all these questions and feeling a lot of self-doubt. That's not me either. And I'm not the one who's working it out with my girlfriend. That's not me either. And I'm not the one who isn't sure what's coming next. That's not me either. None of those things are me. They're all happening. They're ill in my life, but that's not who I am. And I knew he got it. I knew he got that these were the events of his life, but he remembered who he is. I didn't ask him that. <laughs> We're at uh, Insight Retreat Center, and... Um, we don't know all the conditions that allow insight like that to occur, but we know the feeling of it. And um, Kim talked about it last night, the, the quote about you know, the, the water moving through us. We know the feeling of understanding and insight when it comes. Um, but it's also a mystery. It's like, oh, Right now, the causes and conditions are so that the insight just comes and moves through us. Um, but what we do know is that steadying the mind and working with mindfulness is a big part of the conditions that create insight to occur. We know that out of the consistency and the stability. Is this getting feedback or is this okay? It's okay. Okay, just I'm hearing it a little. So, out of the consistency and stability of practice, out of the safety of retreat, that allows us to touch a deeper well being. We know we can begin to understand dukkha. We can begin to understand all the ways that our lives get tied up in a knot with misunderstandings. Out of the stability and groundedness that comes from sitting retreat, and maybe you can notice that you're already beginning to feel this, we can begin to become more at home with impermanence. We're sitting and we're seeing a breath come and go. We're sitting and feeling the 
changing of sensations, the arising of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. And we can begin to see thoughts, emotions, all of the stories arise and move on. They're really coming to know the depth of impermanence. When we sit and begin to feel confidence in our ability to sit, even if we bolt at the end of the sit, we keep coming back and meeting ourselves. This is a deep confidence. Out of that confidence is where we begin to know and remember what's not ourself and make space for the growing of this container that holds it all. I love this story about um, early botanists. Um, I'm not a scientist, but I love science stories. Um, early botanists, one of the first experiments that they did was, what happens if you turn a seed sideways? Does it still grow? What if you put it under the ground upside down at an angle? What happens to it? And of course, what they found is no matter what way the seed had been placed in the dirt, if the conditions were right with watering and with sun, the seed naturally righted itself and reached to the light. I love that story because I believe that about us as well. Creating these conditions of stability and steadiness and safety and well-being allows us to incline, to point in that direction towards the light. So um, what I want to do is break down dukkha <laughs> a little bit differently, a little bit more, um, as I understand it in, in this sutta, in this discourse, and um, talk a little bit about impermanence and come to the ugabuga of not-self. Um, This is not my personal story, but this is a story I heard from another teacher. And I want to say, thus, this is what I've heard. Um, <laughs> so I will say, thus, this is what I heard. Um, at a recent gathering of Zen monks, um, many of whom had committed themselves to monastic life, had lived there for 30 and 40 years, there was some kind of small talk before the meetings began. And what was overheard, and now this is twice through me, so I'm embellishing it in my story, was, hey, how are you? What are you working on? So one person said, well, I'm working on my fear of death. I'm working on aging. I'm working on the changing body. Like, wow, what a ride. What are you working on? Well, I'm working on pain, you know, I've got the pain in the hip and I've got pain in the knee and I'm trying to make space for it, be kind towards it, allow its comings and goings. What are you working on? Well, I'm working on some new triggered reactions that are arising. I've noticed I'm angry and irritated. I'm not sure what that's about. What are you working on? I got some kind of 
small anxiety that's just hovering, you know, just outside. It's like, what? If you were to walk by and have heard this conversation, working with anxiety, working with pain, working with an awareness of the aging body, working with death, it's like, what? These are monks? What? Them? If not them, you know, what hope is there for me? It's like, wow. And then the beauty and the truth of it, that there is no immunity from suffering. That's being human. We're all of the nature. Our bodies to change, to decay, to come to the end of our lives, to have the dissatisfactoriness, the grist of life being not exactly what we want. I don't want this pain in my body. I don't want this triggered reaction. We're all of that nature. I love this story because it frees my heart. Like, oh, there's no more perfect version of myself that's supposed to be created, that I'm supposed to be doing that I should have done. Now it's like, oh, this is life. It's so human. Kim passed me Ajahn Suchito's book, The Dawn of the Dhamma, recently, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And particularly, there was one story in it that I loved about Buddha. And um, continuing in the theme that no one gets a pass on dukkha, um, even Buddha, after the Enlightenment. So this is how the story is that um, I read. After a night of pacing in the meditation hall, meditating in the meditation hall, he lay down in the early dawn to rest and arranged himself just so, with mindfulness, with awareness, with care. And within a very short time of rest, what are you doing? Why are you lying down? You're not a good enough Buddha. It's daylight. You should be practicing. You're not worthy. It's amazing. Some familiar? <laughs> not good enough. Not doing it right. Even Buddha was subject to the laws of nature, dukkha. Kim so beautifully explained we are all of the nature to experience dukkha. So we get these insights on how to work with it. The Buddha, of course, faced this aspect and said, yeah, I'm here. I see you. I know you. I recognize you. I'm resting. This is goodness. This is goodness. So it's good to pause. <laughs> so um, dukkha, suffering, the stress and dissatisfactoriness, the unsettledness. Um, what we heard about last night and what we all benefit from iterative reminders about Dukkha with awareness is much different than dukkha without awareness. 
I know I said this to um, somebody today the, the, in the interviews, the sense of um, dukkha without awareness can sometimes feel like the dragon's been unleashed and it is doing damage. It is getting everything it can, you know, within its path with fire and flapping its wings and making a mess. And, um, I must confess, I felt a little bit of that in preparing for this talk. <laughs> I'll confess even further, a lot of it. <laughs> the dragon was unleashed. <laughs> the irony of, um, the talk, the contents of the talk, and the direct experience right there, reminder in my face, both wonderful and daunting. Ours is a practice to not take our humanness away, but to build our capacity to live our lives, to lessen the holds, the tangles, the strangles, the feeling of just the complete sense of annihilation, that misidentifying with stories, roles, identities, you know, mistaken understandings of who we are, what we're supposed to do, what our lives should be like. I love this um, little extraction extract from um, Jack Hornfield's book, The Wise Heart. He said, why do we practice? And why do we meet ourselves over and over again? We practice for freedom, for our own freedom. We free the heart with all its joys and sorrows, its ups and downs, its tightness, its lightness its stories, its habits, all human. We free the heart for life to move through us continually and easily without grasping for something, clenching to get away from what is. Our hearts are meant to be open. They're meant to be broken. They're meant to cry. They're meant to be sad. They're meant to be sorrowful. They're meant to grieve. They're meant to feel, think. But they're not meant to be hardened. We practice for freedom in the heart. Knowing and understanding dukkha is one of the deepest insights to free our heart, which is why it's I think at the core central teaching, we teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. Mm. So three marks of existence, three characteristics of existence, three insights. The first is dukkha, understanding, the second is impermanence, anicca, the changing nature of everything. This not only addresses what I know we each have come to see 
the changing nature of the breath, of sensations, sounds, the changing nature of thoughts and feelings, and maybe can begin to understand the changing nature of anxiety, the changing nature of pain here in one moment, and perhaps gone in another moment, surprise pleasant and unpleasant, that constant interplay, always changing. Knowing this, knowing this and deeply feeling the truth of impermanence helps us to begin to identify less with the stories. I come from the anxiety lineage. <laughs> and I know um, I might have mentioned this to a couple of people already today that I didn't even have a chance, probably still in diapers, the sense of anxiety got wrapped around my nervous system. Understanding impermanence has been one of the deepest learnings for me. Moments of anxiety arise, and before awareness, perhaps would take hold of me for a week, a month, a year, a few years. It's like, whoa, okay, I see it. But with awareness, it's like, oh, this is my watch. <laughs> I wonder how long this one's going to last. I've come to know, I've come to trust. I've come to really understand the comings and goings of my own experience. So the insight of impermanence is so helpful. It's so useful in practice. The dragon's out again. <laughs> I wonder how long, <laughs> how long. How long? Ah, this breath, uh, here and now. So the other aspect of impermanence, which I, which I really also appreciate, is coming to be at peace with inconstancy, with how we thought things were supposed to be or what was supposed to happen is not what's happening. This is the way my life was supposed to be. Oh, it's different. Some of you know that my, um, my mom lives in town. I'm so lucky. She's almost 91. And um, we're very, very close. Excuse me. And I feel grateful in the deepest way. We've earned it. <laughs> A lifetime of moving closer and closer. A few years ago, she decided she was in her mid-80s and she wanted to see the Taj Mahal. And I thought... Ah, <laughs> okay, twist my arm, <laughs> I'll go with you. So um, I was a little nervous, of course, um, traveling in India with her and not knowing. And this is just an aside, we would go through every um, transit point and the, um, the uh, person you know, at the gate would look at her um, passport and look at her, look at her passport, look at her. 
you're old. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> she goes, yeah. <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> it's wonderful. So we get to Agra, and um, we're really excited. This is our pilgrimage. You know, this is um, a lot of months of planning. And um, there's an inversion of fog and smog. And we're standing right in front of the Taj Mahal, and we can't see it. <laughs> it's there for days, and we can't see it. And there's this internal feeling of, what? <laughs> it says here on my itinerary, I'm supposed to see the Taj Mahal. This is how my life is supposed to go. This is my mom. She's in her mid-80s. I want to show her the Taj Mahal. She wants to show me the Taj Mahal. You know, it's like, oh. And this moment of, oh, inconstancy. This is not what we planned. This is not how it's supposed to go. And we both looked at each other and we beelined over to a little photography booth that had a picture of a sunny Taj Mahal. <laughs> it was great. And we stood in front of it smiling. <laughs> and we had just the deepest, deepest laugh. This is life. It's not what we think it's going to be. You know, can relate to it. I know I'm not alone in the feeling that this is not supposed to happen. You know, this is not how my life is supposed to go at this moment. I'm not supposed to lose a loved one or a job or a relationship or have this diagnosis or have a loved one have this diagnosis or a pain in the body. This is not on my itinerary. This didn't, didn't choose this. How do we work with this inconstancy? It's so human. I mean, each of us has our own story. It's not on my itinerary. With practiceness, practiceness, I like that word, with practiceness with steadiness, with stability, with mindfulness. You come to be so intimate and so familiar with the nature of impermanence, with inconstancy. Perhaps not take it so personally. It's the nature of being human. It's profound the support of the Dharma here because it helps us become less wrapped up in the particular of our stories with deep respect for all the emotions, deep respect for that. But it's the sense of being tangled and identifying and wrapped up that practice helps us understand. working with these insights of dukkha and impermanence, anicca, inevitably helps lead to a lighter heart 
and a greater sense of freedom and more well-being. Maybe you tasted it today during the retreat, before the retreat, and you knew so certainly to get yourself here. This seed wants to grow towards the light. So, dukkha, anicca, suffering, impermanence, and the third mark characteristics of existence, anatta, not self. What is that? What is this not self? There was a point in my own life where I felt like, wait a minute, I've worked so hard to understand my stories, to understand myself, to figure it all out. What is this? What is this not self? So um, let's see how this lands with you. <laughs> Keep my fingers crossed. The Buddha gave us very clear instructions about what is not self. And this is in the discourse. And like my son, it helps us remember who we're not. All experience that is subject to change, all experience that is coming and going, arising, lingering, and moving on. All experience that is of the nature to arise from our conditioning. These are not self. These are events in our life. They're stories, but they're not self. I'm going to say it again. All experience that is subject to change, all experience that is of the nature to come and go, to arise, linger, and move on, all experience that is of the nature to arise from conditions are not us not self. They matter. They are events in our lives. And in some ways teach us who we are. But they're not self. The instruction goes on to say, here's five ways to get more specific. The first, are you your body, your breath, or all the changing sensations? You can see they come and go, so they don't pass the test. And I know there's some of you here, and probably many who've been exposed to uh, Bob's teaching about 32 parts, know deeply lots of factoids about the changing body. Um, but for now, I could just say the body completely changes itself every seven years. Is that right? 
so the first, we're not the body, we're not the breath. It's constantly changing. The second, are we the feelings, the pleasant and unpleasant? Did these describe us, define us? It's constantly changing, pleasant, unpleasant. Not even noticing, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. These two are not self. They're of the nature to change, to arise, linger, and move on. The third, are we our mind states? Are we all those thoughts and feelings? We come to see beautiful talk about it. All these thoughts and feelings that arise out of nowhere take hold of our attention and then move on. Are these ourselves? According to the Buddha, no, not self. Events. They are rising. The fourth are perceptions. Oh, we've worked so hard to generate these. How we see the world. I was talking about that earlier. The narrative we've created, our perceptions. How we see the me, myself, the I, and everyone else around us. Our perceptions. These are changing too. Your perceptions when you were five are different than your perceptions now, different than the perceptions you had 20 years ago. These are not self either. Our consciousness, the fifth. Our consciousness, that which interacts with everything else, the thoughts, the feelings, the breath, the body, the perceptions. This is changing all the time too, because everything else is always changing. So this is not self too. All these experiences moving through us, life moving through us. And according to the second discourse, they're not self. And the stories of our life matter, but they come and go, not self. So if I were you sitting and listening to this Dharma talk, um, okay, so we're getting really clear instructions on what is not the self. So um, what is the self? Okay, give it to us. <laughs> give it to me. What is it? What is it? Um, and I feel like this is the kicker, and this is the beauty of Buddhist teaching. It's on each of us to answer that question through our direct experience. It's on each of us to know. The Buddha has defined and has helped us understand that which exists within us. But the rest, the direct experience that holds it all, is on us to know. The sweet thing is, is that we get a front row seat when we're on retreat. <laughs> 
In a sense, we get to watch the show. We get to watch all the comings and goings. And we get to be curious about what is this awareness that holds it all? What is this awareness that holds all the comings and goings? The thoughts, the breaths, the sensations, the sounds, the stories, the holds on our heart. What is this that holds it all? We sit in the midst of all this and in a sense just make space for being. I find this helpful to think this way. There is a silence that holds all sounds. Silence that holds all sounds. And sounds come and go. But there is a silence that holds it all. There is awareness that holds all experience. Awareness that holds it all. deeper than the heart, deeper than the thoughts, deeper than all the comings and goings, awareness that holds it all. Maybe you've come to feel a little of that on retreat, the sense of being human, the human being. In my bathroom, I painted a canvas. And um, it's a quote that was inspired by um, Saki Santarelli, who was formerly the director of the Center for Mindfulness in uh, back east. <laughs> my hand just goes up. Um, it goes something like this. It says, even in the midst of chaos and confusion, even in the midst of stress, obstacles, life's greatest challenges, there is a stillness, a steadiness, a vastness, a luminosity, and a boundlessness of love boundlessness of love. It's awareness. <laughs> the Buddha wrote a list for us with some wonderful, wonderful insights. But the deepest for me the Buddha has told us what is not self and it's on us to learn the rest. Mm-hmm.
so I want to end with um, this quote, which I know will feel familiar to some of you, the eight worldly winds. All our stories and attachments come and go. Praise and blame, pride and shame, status and disgrace, gain and loss, joy and sorrow, pleasure, pain, they all come and go like the wind. To be happy, rest, rest like a great tree in the midst of them all. Sit for a few minutes. Mm. 